podcast, New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching a message from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, called When You Pray. We hope you are blessed by the message today. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is the word of our Lord. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, you are gracious. You're so good to us. Thank you for the moments we've had already to worship and, and look to you and direct our attention to you Father, I pray now that your word would just be everything we need it to be. Lord, speak to us. Remind us of your truth, your love, Lord. Draw in those in, in this room this morning that are not in your presence. And Lord, their sin is still their God, their idol. They, they love themselves. God, would you interrupt their rebellion and draw them into your redemptive plan, Lord. And we believe, God, that you are a, a seeking God. It's, all, it's because of you that we are saved. It's because of your spirit that any of us have experienced your grace. Thank you, Lord, for saving sinners like us. Continue to do that again and again. And open our eyes to the truth today. Be glorified uh, as we look to your word. And teach us now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, it's so good, so good to be here, and just all of that celebration. Sorry for the tears, you guys, and all of your crying. I'm glad I wasn't alone, um, but it's, it's good. It's such a good thing to celebrate. And one thing that I, I, I see that has just been consistent in the ministry of New City Church that I pray is never ends is the preaching of God's Word. The expository preaching of a text and going through books of the Bible is what we do here. It's what every church should do. Um, I believe that wholeheartedly, and so we're in Matthew. For those of you who are new here, we've been going through the book of Matthew, and uh, we're going to just keep on working our way through this Sermon on the Mount. So let's dig in. There is a, uh, a recurring uh, thought that has been happening, and it's about the, hip, the hypocrite. We've been talking about the, the hypocritical, pious display of living out your life before God in a way that others would see. In the last context, in the last sermon, we covered this idea of giving, and that there were, there were hypocrites in Christ's day that were giving to only be seen, and they, that was their reward. And so we move into this section of prayer now, and, so, and then there's, another, there's a third section that's fasting, and we're going to sort of wrap that into next week's sermon but I want to just ask you uh, something that when it's asked from a pulpit, generally, it's like a bomb that goes off because it's an area that all of us should be convicted by and seek to grow in. And the question is, how is your prayer life? Just think about it for a moment. 
What does your prayer life look like? Is it exemplary? Could someone follow you and your example and learn what it would mean to pray? To pray according to God's word, to pray according to Christ's will. What would you like to see changed or made better when it comes to prayer? Just do a self-evaluation right now for a moment. What would you, just pick one or two things right now in your mind. What's one or two things that you would like to see changed, made different, grow, be an increase in your prayer life? Identify those things. Think about those things and take those to the Lord today and continue to do so. I, I really think the Lord's timing is perfect. Of course, the Lord's timing is perfect. He's perfect. That's no new thing. Um, but these next two Sundays, we're looking at this idea of what Jesus taught about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. And as was already announced, uh, we're starting a prayer service soon. I think God is doing something in our church, and I hope that it takes off like fire. Not because we're trying to produce something, but that the Holy Spirit is doing something in each of you and in me to convince us of the need of our lives to be submitted, wholly surrendered, wholeheartedly to the Lord in prayer. So God has us in this season to sharpen us and strengthen us and to grow us in our understanding of prayer. So let's pay attention. In the text, what I want to point out quickly, as you've already heard read, is the warning that's similar to what Jesus said in terms of giving, as applied to giving. The warning is also applied here to prayer. Look at verse 5 and 6, again, in Matthew chapter 6, and you'll notice that what we can conclude about prayer is that like giving, it was being treated by the religious leaders of Jesus' day as a means of getting praise. The prayers were being done in such a way that they were being praised. They were getting attention. It was all about themselves. That's something that we can notice very quickly that is very similar to our last study when it comes to giving. Maybe you have witnessed... Now, this, I had a kind of a fun time thinking about my life, just listening, like looking back over my life following Christ, the different types of people I've met, the different types of prayers I've heard in public settings, some of them quite comical, some kind of sad. But you've heard there are some stereotypes, right? And I, I don't want to make this a, a silly thing, but you've probably noticed that one who prays way too loud in a quiet room. And you're thinking, why? And you're looking around, and, and the person is just praying awkwardly loud. You've been around those people? Yeah? <laughs> you might be one of them. I don't know. I don't want to call. <laughs> I don't, I'm not pointing fingers here. I'm just saying I've experienced that you've all experienced. This is stuff that's common to us. How about the one who m sort of moans in prayer in a very unproductive, kind of self-seeking kind of a way? It's, just, it's disgenuine. Attention-getting. Oh, Lord. Why? Why? And there are people that do that, right? And so there, we, we've experienced. And so it's important and it's good that we have a place in Scripture, many places in Scripture, but here Jesus teaching his disciples, telling them this is what prayer looks like and what it should look like and what you should seek to avoid. The point Jesus is making, it's a serious one, and it comes down to the matter of the heart. Prayer is not a show. Let's just hear that. Prayer is not a show. Prayer does not change God. We're going to learn that later on in this text. And I would encourage you to do a deep study into that. 
prayer doesn't change God. God is unchanging in his nature. We can't change God. So we would do well to consider what are we actually trying to accomplish in our prayers? Are you trying to change God? Well, you would do something with your words if that's truly what you believe. How you pray is affected by what you believe about the omniscience, omnipresence, sovereignty, unchanging nature of God. It's not a show. It's not to change God. Prayer is not a performance. Prayer is not about your wishes and desires. It's really not about those at all. According to the Scripture, there's no reward for the one who prays elaborate prayers out in the open so that others can hear. There's no reward from God for that person. And similar to the subject of giving, if you pray to be seen, what Jesus says is the the being seen is your reward. That's it. You've got it. If you pray to be seen, that's where your reward ends. The hypocrite that Jesus brings up that we notice in the text, the hypocrite prayed on the street corner during specific times when public prayer was happening. So we know from studying things about Jewish culture, there were traditionally morning, noon, and evening prayers. There were times when you knew most people would be praying, most people within, the, within Judaism. A person, if, want, if they wanted to, could time it just right so that they were situated in a public place seen by the most people. And that's what Jesus is referencing here. He mentioned the street corner. They pray on the street corner, which is a great place to be seen because you'd get people coming from both directions. You can even see an intentional mindset to be on the street corner so that there's people here and here that can see you. It's an intentionality behind it that's really quite vain. Then the synagogue, he says that they would also pray in the synagogue, not just on the street corner, but also in the synagogue. And this wasn't uncommon in and of itself to pray in a a synagogue. The synagogue was a place of prayer. And in fact, sometimes within the congregation, people would be called out to lead a prayer. There was public prayer. That's not the issue. The issue that I want us to think about when we are examining this text and in your hearts is why. Why? Do you pray? Why, when you pray, are you doing so? Why exactly? When it's public, when it's a public prayer, why are you praying? When it's a private prayer, why are you praying? What is the purpose in general of prayer? So Scripture teaches us much about prayer But above all, the one thing I think that if you were to study Scripture, which this isn't a topical on prayer, so we're not going to dive into a lot of Scriptures about it, but I think we can, I don't think, I know we can make this from looking at Scripture that ultimately prayer is about God. It's all-encompassing. It's for Him. It's, It's about Him. It's to God. It's for Him. And we benefit from prayer. Do we benefit from prayer? Yes, absolutely we benefit from prayer. Is there good in it for those who pray? Yes, there's good in it for those who pray because Jesus tells us that there is a reward there, but prayer is not about us. It's not ultimately about us. There might be something about you included in your prayer, but it's not about you. It's ultimately about God. So when you look at verse 5, notice what it says here. 
And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Notice these words, for they love. They love to stand and pray. Notice the posture. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. What do you notice about that phrase? They love to be seen. They love to stand. They love to stand and pray. Their prayer, that word love is a key word for what they're doing. Their prayer is rooted in their affections. That's true for all of us. How you pray, what your motivation for prayer is, it's rooted in your affections. What are your affections for? What are they towards? Those deep-seated emotions and inclinations, the things that your heart loves. We all have affections. Affections drive us in everything that we do. Our affections move us toward particular actions and decisions because we have affections towards people, towards things, towards activities. We have affections. In this case, prayer, which is supposed to be to God and for God and about God, it's a holy and consecrated act that glorifies God. It was being done out of a deep affection for themselves. And it's clear because they love to stand in the street corners and in the synagogues so that they might be seen. Their prayer, even beginning to go to the synagogue to prayer was all about to pray was all about themselves because of an affection for themselves. The affection of these hypocrites was clear. They think about themselves and therefore their prayers are not heard. That should really cause us to think here. Because their affections were about self and their self-motivated affections was their reason for prayer, they were not heard. They were not answered. In fact, they are rejected. There's no reward for the one who prays that way. Their reward is, like was mentioned, simply the being seen. Not by God, but by those around them. You can actually learn a lot about somebody in how they pray. Listen to somebody pray. Listen. Don't make it a weird thing. Just notice. You can learn a lot by how someone talks to God. What they say, the content of their prayer, the seriousness, the the jovialness maybe, whatever, you you can learn a lot. The true test of whether we have a biblical understanding of prayer comes when we apply the instructions that Jesus gives in verse 6, and this gets very serious. After he says they have received their reward, verse 6 says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's where the true test comes in. What you believe about prayer is really put to the, to the test based on whether or not you believe verse 6, that you believe that the greater blessing is actually in what Jesus is instructing in verse 6. Do you guys see that? That's the test. How many of us would be content with prayer that is never seen or heard by anybody else? How many of us would be content with the main place of our, and I'm talking to myself here, guys, as well. We are all in this. We need to grow in this. How many of us would be content with an inner room in our house as the primary place 
where we talk to God. Or someplace that is secretive. Notice that Jesus does expect his disciples to pray. Similar to how he says, when you give, he says, when you pray. The assumption is that you will be praying. A disciple, a a child of God is someone who prays to God. There's no question about it. If you don't pray, in fact, that's often a, a very telling statement when somebody says that they're a Christian and you say, well, how can I pray for you? And they say, it's okay. Is that person walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, the redeemer of their soul, if they reject an offer for prayer? What is, about, what is it about that? It's trivialized. It's not really a big deal. But it is. It, it is a big deal. Go into your room. This word that Jesus uses for room, this word refers specifically, it's a specific word to an inner room of the house. Could have been a treasury or a storeroom that was in the center, the middle of the house. Jesus picked that specific word. Go into that place. That's why some translations would say the closet, a place that's at the center where there's no windows. Go into your room. Go into that place where there is no human observance because that is the point of private prayer. The point of private prayer is it's between you and God. And nobody else needs to see it. Two things that we, we, one thing we can notice here is that when Jesus talks about this first example of prayer in the street corner, I think what he's ultimately saying is those prayers that the hypocrites were praying in the synagogue openly and in the street corners were intended to be private. It should have been in the closet. And there are times when there's things that we should be praying privately to God that we pray openly so others can hear it. Check your heart in that. Why are you praying? Why are you praying publicly? Should it have been in the closet between you and your father? There are times for public prayer, as in an assembly and in worship and in inter- intercession for others. There are times where we pray for others for healing, where we, we want others to hear what we're saying, that they might agree with God and that we together would worship God in prayer. That is absolutely acceptable, and there's no sin specifically in praying publicly. It's, again, it's the motivation of the heart. Here, Jesus is condemning those prayers that should have been in secret, yet were done in in the open for the purpose of praise. No, he says, go into your most secret place in your house. Lift your prayers to your Father who you cannot see. And know that his eyes are not blind to you there. He sees you in that secret place. He sees you. He sees you and he will reward you. The the implication is that you are praying in secret, but the reward will be open. He will reward you openly, whether that's in an answered prayer here in this life or ultimately before the, the, the throne of God. One day when we're there with the uncountable number of those whom Christ has redeemed and their reward will be open in public and we will all rejoice and give glory to God. One way or the other, there is an open reward coming for those who trust in their Father and are not in it for the self-praise or the self-glory. One thing that I would say that we need to do better at or I need to do better at is in seeing that the reward is even in the fact that he hears me. To know that our our God 
hears us and wants to listen to the prayers of his children. I think it'd be good to just stop for a moment before we go a little further into this doctrine of prayer. There may be some here who lack uh, an understanding or maybe a little earlier in your learning when it comes to what is prayer and who gets to pray and does God listen and hear prayers? Can anybody pray? This is important. This is really good and the Bible does provide us with answers for this. Prayer is not open to all people in the same way, plain and simple. It is not open to all people in the same way. You might hear somebody pray, but if they don't know God through Jesus Christ, then their prayers are not going to the Father. Somebody could pray to Buddha or pray to Confucius or pray to Allah, and it's not the same. The, the only prayer that Christ validated is the, that was prayed to the Father through him. And so prayer is not the same for all people. The heathen that Jesus brings up or that's mentioned here as the Gentile, the heathen do not have the heart of God the Father and his affections are not toward them. That's something that we need to understand. The heathen, the rebel, the one who is against God and opposes God right now is actively an enemy of God, they do not have the affections of a father toward them. They are at enmity with God, Scripture says. You are a child of the devil. That's the clear truth of what Scripture says. Because God is not their father by any natural sense. God's only son is who? Jesus Christ. He is the only natural-born son, the one that we would say, that's the best we could say, a naturally-born son. He is the only son of God, the only begotten from the Father. He's the only son, and his eternal love and favor is upon him. The Father loves the Son and has favored the Son of God. And upon him, all who believe upon him receive that blessing. The one who rejects and hates the king does not get the ear of the king. If you're living in active rebellion against God and yet you think you pray and receive his blessing, that is a deception. It's not accurate. It's not true. So then how can a sinner come to know the Savior if he or she does not have the Father's ear? Think about this for a moment. How then can someone who is currently living a life in rebellion against God come to know God if their prayers are not treated the same? Think about this. It's going to take a little bit of digging doctrinally, understanding what, what Scripture teaches us. Salvation is not a result of prayer. Salvation is not a result of prayer, as if prayer is the one acceptable righteousness that God is waiting for. He's just waiting for people to pray. And as soon as they pray, he's going to listen. That's not, that's not what Scripture teaches. Justification is a result of faith, which is itself a gift from God and comes from a heart that has been wooed and stirred and drawn and regenerated by the Spirit of God. Any favor that a sinner receives on this earth in their rebellion, don't be fooled. It's not because God is answering their prayer. It's because God is merciful and gracious. It's because God has showed common grace to even the rebellious in this world. The good and the blessings that come to somebody who is rebelling against God is not because God is answering that person's prayer. It's because God is merciful and gracious, and it's in his nature and his kindness and his benevolence to bestow gifts upon all mankind. That we do not deserve. 
But the one who has become a child of God through faith, this is different altogether. The one who has come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, you have a father who hears you and has planned in his providence that our prayers, your prayers of faith, and his kind benevolence some, in some mysterious way weave together to transform us and to bring about God's predetermined ends. We pray in faith to a God who is sovereign and has predetermined and planned everything. And we pray in faith to that God because in his plan, he has saw fit that our prayers of faith weave together to bring about his mean, to be the means to the ends that he has decreed. So we pray because it pleases the Father. We pray because the scriptures teach us to pray. We pray with confidence in our sovereign God. Ultimately, the true child of God is pleased to have the ear of his or her father. It would be pleasing to you. If you sit in this room and you're a child of God through faith in Christ, it is enough for you to know when you pray that you have his ear. You do not have to have everything that you ask for from him. You do not have to have all the blessings and dreams that you wish for your family. You can just know that because you have his ear, you are blessed. It is a reward in and of itself. When you understand the miraculous nature of salvation and redemption, that it's not by our works, but it's by a loving God who, in his kindness, leads us, draws us to repentance through his son, that miracle alone is enough to give us a lifetime of praising God for his goodness. That is a reward. The child of God is pleased to pray in private, believing that our omnipresent and all-knowing Father sees into the secret places of our lives. Maybe that's something that some of you need to hear in a specific way this morning, that God sees into the secret places of your lives. He sees our inner man, and not only our inner man, our inner being, our inner ache. He sees it. Every single detail of what you are fighting against right now and battling with, he sees it. He sees the secrets of our hearts. And if we would go to him, not in order to receive an external reward, but go to him for the sake of him, he has a reward for us and he will reward you. Go to him for the sake of him. Did you hear that? Think about that. Let that ruminate. Let it just settle on your heart. Why do you pray? Is it for God or is it for you? What is the reward that you seek? Moving out of this section that Jesus opens up when it comes to prayer, this visible uh, awareness, like people can see me and this is for me. Moving on from that, he addresses another aspect of prayer. He goes on to say that there can also be vanity in repetition and long-winded prayers. Notice what he says, verse 7, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. 
Repeated prayers in and of themselves are not sin. Again, it's the heart. It's the heart, again, that we're talking about. Repeated prayers are something that the Jews prayed often. There were memorized prayers. There still are memorized prayers today. That's okay to memorize prayers and pray them in genuine, genuineness before the Lord. These words that Jesus is speaking about were, they were empty words. Notice what he says, empty words, like babbling. That's what the word means, babbling and stammering. The one who stutters has to repeat their words continually. Jesus is saying there are people who pray in that same mindset where you, you, have, you feel like you have to repeat words. You have to repeat certain things, repeating the same sounds over and over again. And that reveals to us a belief about our God. He says heaping them up, this idea of heaping them up as if more words give you more chances of God hearing from you. As if the more you speak, the more he will hear. Jesus compares this way to the way Gentiles prayed. In this day, when we see the word Gentiles, what we're talking about is the non-Jewish nations, those who worship foreign deities and demons and lifeless statues. That's what he's talking about. The Gentiles who prayed, prayed to lifeless statues. They also prayed to demon spirits. They also prayed to foreign deities, deities that were not God, that were not supreme. Why else, what else, excuse me, what else do you do when your God isn't hearing you or responding to you? You continue to repeat your words. You have to get desperate Maybe some of you are already thinking of a story, and I am going to reference it, but I want you to turn over to 1 Kings 18. This is going to help us, I believe, to see a real-life situation of two people, a man of God and a wicked man. Two scenarios of prayer. 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 20. Listen to these details. 1 Kings 18, verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. So let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire on it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull, prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from the morning until noon, saying, Oh, by all, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar and that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for 
he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now hear this. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the 12 tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stone and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let none of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. What a story. What an incredible story. But you see the comparison? Do you see the reason why I would take you there? Who were the babblers? Who were the ones that were stammering and stuttering on with words and repetition, speaking to a God that had no ability to answer their prayer, could not bring fire from heaven? Who were the babblers and those who repeated those phrases? And who had the ear of God the Father who knew what he needed in his moment? Elijah did. Elijah had the ear of God. Why? Because Elijah had faith in God. And because God is the true God. Not only does our God see us when we pray in secret, but he delights to hear us pray. He is not like the false gods who pretend to be like Almighty God. The God of scriptures is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit, eternal God, and manifested to us in the person of Jesus and in his work, revealed to us by the regenerating Spirit of God. And because he is God, he is sovereign, and he knows what you need before you even ask it. That should shape our prayers that we are not like those who pray to foreign gods, but pray with faith and belief and trust in God Almighty through our Lord Jesus Christ. He knows what you need before you ask it. Why pray? Why pray if he knows what you need? That's a common question. Because not only does God know your needs, again, he loves to hear you. He wants to hear you. 
And he uses your prayers to make your faith stronger. Why pray if God knows? Because he wants to strengthen you through your prayer of faith, through your trusting, through your believing, when there's nothing else that you can depend on, and it's only God. He wants to use your prayers, your faith. He will use those as means to bring about his providential plan. So church, take all of this to heart, all of it. Think about how you pray and why you pray. When you are in need, your Father knows it well. That's a comfort. He knows your need before you even ask it. Based on what we've read, we know that there are times when secret prayers are what is most appropriate. Learn to pray in secret. Pray in secret. Go go home today. Talk about it. Find out what's that place. Where's the place you're going to take your prayers before God where no one else can hear? And there are times when we will pray publicly. There are times when those public prayers will fit the occasion. So for this, do not repeat words for the sake of repeating words. Don't heap up repetitions. Don't be that person who babbles on and on. Be precise with your prayers because we are praying to a real God. He does not need your repetition or our babbling or stammering. We can pray specific, clear prayers as though we are a child and he is our father. Value the prayer closet. Trust that nothing is hidden from his sight. Elijah prayed this single prayer. I just wanted to bring this back up. This is what Elijah's prayer, after an entire day of the prophets of Baal prayed and cut themselves and repeated and went on and on and on and nothing happened, he said simply, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, he knew who his God was and he called him by name. He knew who he was. He also knew the promises and the lineage that was rooted in those names, that God was a faithful God to his people. He said, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. There was humility there. I am here to serve you. I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. I'm obedient. I'm being obedient to your word. This is about you, God. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back and then fire consumed the altar. And I want to tell you that what we have today is even better than that. What we have today through Jesus Christ is even better than seeing a fire licked, or an entire soaked altar licked up by the fire of the Lord. What we have is better than that through the Holy Spirit revealed to us and indwelling in us, redemption through Jesus Christ. It's better. Christ has come and he has opened the veil of the curtain to the most holy place. We get to go in and fellowship with God wherever we are, Whatever time it is, we have open access to God the Father through Jesus. That is better. Access to the Father is open through Jesus. And it's interesting because there's one repeated word that comes up over and over again in this section, and it is the word Father. How does one come to know God as Father? Romans 8, 14 to 16 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, what? Abba, Father, an endearing word 
that a child says to their daddy, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And this is how we know God. And pray to God and trust in God, not as fearful, enslaved, and hopeless, but as those who have been adopted into the family of God through faith in Jesus. We've been adopted into his family and given an eternal inheritance because Jesus, that true son, loved us and suffered for us and in our place became a curse for us. God, who was once our enemy, is now Abba Father. We can go to him as Father. Church, learn to go to him as Father. We need to learn this and go to him and keep each other accountable to this. And we get to utter these words. We get to say these words to God who was once our enemy. Wake up every morning. Wake up and and soon let those words cross your lips. Father, And then Jesus is going to teach us. So next week we're going to come back and we get to get into that outline of prayer that Jesus actually gives us. Here's the model. Father in heaven, holy is your name. How kind of Jesus to tell us how he wants us to pray. The model. This is what our prayer should should include, but it begins with our Father. Worship team, you guys can come on back up. I'm just going to close here. You guys know that a week from this Wednesday is our first prayer service. It's already been mentioned I want to challenge all of us to think intently about how we pray. That's the challenge, the charge for us as followers of Christ, members of New City, believers in Christ that are here. Think about this. How do we pray and why are we praying to God? Let that enter into your times of prayer. When you pray with somebody today, when you pray with somebody this week, maybe over the phone or you send them a prayer through text, which I know we do all the time. Texting is like a new form of prayer. (laughs) Or you post a prayer on Facebook, right, or something like, but really think about it. What about the prayer closet in your house? What would happen if leading up to even our prayer meeting on Wednesdays, we've all begun praying in secret to our Father, knowing that he will reward us? I pray that we would do that. God is powerful. He's all-knowing. So we don't need to convince or coerce him of anything. It is faith that pleases him. So we should pray and ask with bold faith, but also with deep trust, wanting only his will to be done. And then we'll talk more about that next week as well. His will be done. These things that we want to creep into our, intentionally put into our prayers, we'll talk more about that. Before we close, I do want to make sure that if, if you're here this morning and you're hearing this, this idea about prayer and there's a whole room full of people that have access to God the Father, maybe you don't. Maybe you actually don't have a good father and you're thinking, well, all this talk about father makes me kind of sick because I don't have a good father. Well, you can know a good father through Jesus Christ. You can be completely loved like no other father can love you. The ability of God the Father to love and then move in on those promises that he makes there's, there's nothing that compares. Because not only is he father and he's holy, but he's also perfect. And, he, and he's set apart to accomplish his plans and for his glory through your life. And he wants to save you and make you his son or daughter. The way to God the Father is through faith in Jesus Christ. So you put your faith in Christ. You trust him. You trust in his sacrifice. You trust in what he did was a substitute for your sinful rebellion against God. 
and you turn from your sin and you trust him and he will save you. He will forgive you of all your sins. The majority in this room know this, but if there's anybody here that doesn't, you need to know that and that is the business, the only business that you need to be thinking about to simply surrender and, and believe and trust. Stop pursuing any, any other worldly pursuits. They are all vanity and they will all end in hell. But Christ redeems and forgives. Pray with me and then we'll sing a couple songs. Father, we thank you for your day, this day you've given us. Thank you for your word. I know it can be hard to, for some, especially outside of Christ, to hear any talk of judgment or hell. I know that. I pray that, God, you would, by your spirit, awaken this reality that because you are a holy God, because you are perfect and righteous, you must judge sin. No righteous judge lets injustices go. Somebody had to pay or has to pay. I pray that everyone in this room today would put faith in Christ, would have active belief, trust in the Savior Jesus, who alone is able to forgive sin, who alone took the wrath of the Father upon himself so that we do not have to bear that wrath. I pray you would rescue, redeem, forgive sins, turn hearts to you, Lord, break the stony ground and give new life and new hearts. Help your church to pray. Help us to pray in faith. Help us to pray believing in our Father who knows all things. God, fill this church and continue over these next years and decades. God, use us for your glory. Continue to grow your, your church and build your kingdom in this place and in this land that we live in. Lord, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for our rebellion. Lord, we look to you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the New City Church podcast. For more content from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms, or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at www.bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next episode.